world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. and stuff like how is zero even a number it's not a number that's its whole point it's more like the midpoint it's like all numbers are on either side of this well now you're just making it more confusing are you telling me there are numbers that are negative like my bank account (laughs) (laughs) actually not after today i took all my money out of robin hood (laughs) (laughs) did you do that like, I did. Oh yeah, how'd you do? Uh, pretty good. I mean, I invested about seventy-five bucks uh, last year, and I'm withdrawing a little over two hundred. That's technically a profit. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I'll have to file that on my taxes. I assume next year. Yay! Hooray! Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna reinvest those. I think I'm kind of done with with, with stonks for a bit. It's, it's, it is, I've like, I check in every day just to be like, what are these guys up to? Oh boy. All right. That was, that was a tweet that I saw. It was like, imagine being like a, like a hedge, like a head fund, hedge fund manager and having to explain to your boss that you just got outplayed by somebody that calls them stonks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I went to, (laughs) I went to an Ivy league. I got an MBA and I've been doing this for 20 years and then. Mm. This guy with, uh, you know, what do you call it? A stimulus, stimulus check to burn. <laughs> yeah. Who, who, who outplayed you? Oh man, furry lover number four twenty. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> Calls him stonks. He outplayed us all. <laughs> it's a really interesting story, though. It is. It is. It is interesting. I mean, I think kind of the whole thing. I think. It, I think it's funny that it was a joke and then people kind of played it up as a revolution. And then for like, I don't know, two hours, it really did kind of feel like it was going to become like a revolution. But <laughs> two like, hours. But like all things on the internet and Reddit, that's about how long it lasted until it just went back to being a joke. And now it's just a little sad <laughs> that things are kind of going back to normal. Obviously, yeah. there's consequences. Uh, Robin Hood is probably dealing the most. Yeah. Um lot of interesting fallout from this potentially uh the uh oh man i've been reading and listening to a whole bunch of podcasts i decided that if i'm gonna be like a concerned citizen now that uh the orange jefe is out of the office (laughs) uh i uh need to be more informed about like everything and so i'm trying to learn about economics ah Okay, so you picked you picked a thing. Yeah, I picked a thing to start learning more about. Good. And uh, yeah, a lot of the talk in the economics world nowadays is game stonks. <laughs> it's like, what are we gonna yeah. do? People have figured out the system. Well, it's interesting because, um, like, a lot of people were looking at GameStop as a company to invest money in because it's like 
we don't think that this stock should be as low as it is. Uh-huh. We think that the company is going to do better than it is currently estimated to do, in part because new console generation is coming out and GameStop tends to be a place where people go to buy new consoles. And so they're like, people are undervaluing how good this company is. And then there was a, like, a pretty noteworthy change in their leadership recently. Reggie fils not just that. There has been somebody since then. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. The... But but Reggie, my body is ready for me. Yeah, but like the the new guy was famous for taking a company that was like a brick and mortar store and successfully transitioning them to an online company. And so anyway, it's not just a meme. Is my point. There was like legitimate financial analysis that looked at GameStop and said, you know what. We can make some money off of this. Um, but yeah, it didn't really blow up, I think, until people started buying into the whole this is a revolution, we're taking down mm-hmm. the uh, establishment. Yeah. You know, another another thing I'm going st- to steal from a genius tweet. Uh, the problem with a lot of the hedge fund investors is that they don't, they're not acquainted with GameStop, so they don't, they don't realize that anything you do with GameStop doesn't return value (laughs) (laughs) that's what i saw is like ah finally gamestop is doing well enough that i can turn in my entire collection of you know xbox games and get a quarterback it was just (laughs) horrible return on investment yeah well speaking of stealing from people who are cleverer than us let's start our podcast oh love is in the air this is this is Gary Gary White, and we have listened. We have read some Valentine's Day stories. Yes, Gary, not not someone you're familiar with. This is Gary White, and we're gonna read about love this evening. <laughs> it took me way too long to figure out what the bit was that you were doing. Hey, welcome <laughs> to the Superhuman Registration Podcast. <laughs> oh, let us read together. <laughs> <laughs> it is cold outside, but inside it's warm because we have comics and each other. So yeah, speaking of of comics <laughs> to keep us warm, this is a this is a fun one. A very special episode. <laughs> Let's get this out of the way right now. This is our 69th episode. Yeah, that is quite an accomplishment. I'm 13. <laughs> that's that's where my. That's where my comedy peaked. Was the age thirteen? <laughs> That's why I'm so proud. Actually, I do want to point out. I think this is the first podcast I've been on that has reached sixty nine episodes. And you've been on a few podcasts. I have been. Now I'm trying to think if, yeah, I've I have been on this podcast longer than I have been in a dedicated relationship. <laughs> oh no, Stephen. <laughs> oh, what does that say about? Yep, you, you ever accidentally fall into a poly relationship and you didn't even mean to, but then here you are. <laughs> well, while John goes in and checks in on his, his wife to make sure that he's obeying the, the standards of the relationship that they set out while he's exploring this brand new uh, environment, uh, let's talk about some comics. We, we read some, some romance comics. We went into Marvel Unlimited and searched for the comics that have the word Valentine in the title, and we came away with three. So let's talk about those. Yeah. 
Which, uh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> I, yeah, I... <laughs> It's like, what do we want to wade into first? How about we we could talk about Star Wars? Okay, you want to do the Star Wars one first? Let's do the Star Wars one first. Did you ever watch Empire Strikes Back and think to yourself, I want to know what happened the week before this movie kicks off? <laughs> of course you didn't. But, thankfully, the decision to know is not in your hands anymore. It uh, was made for you by Judd Winnick. Judd Winnick and his bestest buddy, I'm getting to the title page, Paul Chadwick. Uh, That's right, it was Paul Chadwick. Wrote and illustrated this, colored by Ken Stacy? Stacy? S-T-E-A-C-Y. Stacy, Stacy. Stacy is about how I pronounce that, probably. Stacy, lettered by Jason Havam, H-V-A-A-M, and lettered by Paul Chadwick. I apologize to these uh, talented artists and writers if I have butchered their name and for the comments that we're about to make about your work. Three years after New Hope, we get this little interlude between Han and Leia. Um, Han has decided to help out and move some equipment to Hoth to get him ready because he knows that their base is not ready for any kind of a potential attack and not ready for them to run the uh, rebellion from it and they get caught flying these uh y-wings it looks like no they're a little different they're flying these ships han and leia are in one ship and chewie's in another and they get stuck in this snowstorm and han freaks out because you know he's missing his chewie and he uh, runs out in this frigid snowstorm to get him but uh passes out because it's freezing cold and then leia brings him back inside and they have to huddle together for warmth in the spaceship because oh it's so cold and the blanket's so big and they have this this near this near kiss moment just oh the tension is so thick and then Chewie busts in with some rebels to save him because they they uh he was okay and they weren't and then uh, we kind of just are back up to right before Empire Strikes Back starts. Um, I will say I uh, was not a fan of the penciling. Um, the people vaguely looked like Han and Leia. Um, they, um, the paneling is fine and like the layout and everything, but like the actual um, like figures are not that great. In my opinion, it's just it doesn't seem like it's uh, great quality. The coloring's good, and the you know the story itself is not bad. It's it's like okay, this is not something I really needed, but okay, it works and it's fine. And we get you know Han talking about how much Chewie means to him, and so that's nice. And you know we we see that um, you know he's kind of torn because he wants to help, but he also has a price on his head with all these bounty hunters after him and. Um, you know, wants to kind of impress Leia, but they fight, 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 fight. So it's pretty open and shut. Just, you know, it's your little uh, romantic tension story. Um, not terrible, not great. Just kind of, okay, all right. Yeah. Han and Leia, there you go. I I think, uh, I don't know, I think one of the things, I have to agree with you, I'm not, I'm not a super big fan of the penciling. Uh, like page seven, at the very bottom of the page, has like a big panel of Han. Uh, his face looks too small for his head. Yeah. It's it's a little awkward. Yeah, it's like technical errors. It's not just like a style I don't like. Because like, like some of it's sloppy and it's like, oh, that looks sloppy. This is just like, like, 
And I think that probably the artists could do a good job if they weren't going for a specific, like, this has to look like Harrison Ford. This yeah. has to look like Mark Hamill. I, I think for the most part, the faces are, are pretty solid. But but I think when it misses, boy, does it swing and a miss. Yeah. And, and the other face I don't like because I don't think it's giving off the vibe I think they want it to give is on the last page. Yeah. Like after after they're talking to each other. Then Han looks back, but the coloring is like purple and, and like magenta. Mm-hmm. And he's looking back and his eye is like a kind of like a bright red, bright magenta. Yeah. <laughs> and it, like you're, I think it's supposed to be like a, he's looking back and he's like, oh man, I love this woman type thing. But it kind of looks like that's the one that got away. I'll murder her next week. I'll yeah. do it. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> It's a little T-100, right? Yeah. <laughs> you mean T-1000? Wait, which one is the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger? T-800. T-800. Yeah, you were about 700 off. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so was Han. Oh! <laughs> Never tell him the odds. This also keeps up with the tradition of uh, Harrison Ford uh, romances being a little... A little uh, uncomfortable. A little rapey? I don't want to say it, but yeah. I mean, they are a little yeah. bit. And like, so my younger sister, we, okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh-huh. All right. Uh-huh. I love Star Wars. Love Star Wars. Yes. What? Oh, sh- shut up. This is news <laughs> to me. Love Star Wars. Now, having said that, like I, some stuff, some Star Wars makes me angry. Like, you know, most of the prequels in episode nine, it just mad. Um, and uh, Solo itself had some, you know, good stuff and had some just, uh, you know, and, and this comic kind of falls in the, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm okay that it's out there. Um, my sister, my younger sister claims to have never seen it, which I don't know how we used to just, we had them all on tape, you know, like I remember videotape, let's date ourselves even more back in the day before the special editions. They played them on TV back to back to back, and if you made your your cassette tape a super long play cassette, it could get all three Star Wars movies on one tape. And and Sunday afternoons as a kid, if we weren't going to see family or whatever, we'd just put in Star Wars and just let it play. My mother would fall asleep before Obi-Wan Kenobi even showed up on screen. And uh, I swear my sister was there. She says that she never saw it. And so I had a really fun time a couple of years ago watching it with her as an adult, and just writing down every little thing she said about him, like, oh, hey, you know, that Death Star thing is pretty cool. And it's like, no, 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 they're the bad guys. So we get to Empire Strikes Back, and she had a big problem with Han Solo's whole game. And if you know Han Solo, you know that he wouldn't cross the line, but, like, his whole attitude... Like, we come to the part where if you watch Empire Strikes Back, like, knowing the characters, you think... He's he's been in love with Leia this whole time and he's been like flirting with her and all of this and she's just been mad at him and like has finally come around and she says I love you and then he says in the great improvised line I know and you could take it as he's like I know like you've you've got there I've been here the whole time and I love you too. If you're not on board with all of that, you could be like my sister. He goes, I know. And she's like, what a pig! And just yells at the screen. So, it's a maybe it's a big grain of salt, um, but but I don't know. I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. But yes, uh, Han Solo's, um, his game is problematic, yes. 
Yeah. There's a great uh, YouTube video, if you're into that sort of thing, from Pop Culture Detective, talking about, like, Harrison Ford and all of the roles that he plays where he is a touch problematic. Mm. Um, highly recommended if you want Han Solo ruined as a character for you forever. Which, yeah, I, oh. I'm not a big fan of the Han Solo character. But, okay, so I'm gonna... I kind of liked this story, guys. It's not bad. It's just like there there wasn't anything really surprising. I just want to say this story is the uh, it's a Star Wars comic book equivalent of Baby It's Cold Outside. Oh, because it is cold outside. Yeah. Okay. I get it. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> She's not it trying be- to leave. If she leaves, it she'll feels. die. <laughs> it feels. Okay. The whole like, all right, you know, we're going to have to huddle for warmth. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, okay. And he's like, watch your fingers. No, 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 no. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the voices were different in my head than they were in yours. He didn't put, like, <laughs> Rehypnol in her blue milk or anything, you know? It's not like... <laughs> you don't need to do that, John. I know that! You just need to put... It's... Okay, you've seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, right? It's uh, the implications, John. I only know It's Always Sunny from memes. Okay, well, then never mind. I'm sorry. So okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here. Go ahead, go uh, ahead, please, please. Because I don't think that's entirely fair, honestly. Like the thing that I like about this story is the fact that Han Solo, kind of a sex pest in general. In this story, though, when he has the chance to actually, you know, be a pest, you know, he and Leia are huddled under the blanket. Leia falls asleep. What does Han do? He gets out from the blanket and tries to hail Chewie because he's so worried about his best bud. I think that shows his character, doesn't it? It does. And that's the thing that, like, makes him attractive to Leia in this story. It's the, it's the fact that he is so concerned over his friend. She sees the human side of him, which she hasn't really seen before because he's too busy being all quagmire up in her business. So... You like your bear dog, and you didn't take advantage of me. <sighs> that's that's fair. I guess I'm just carrying over a lot of baggage. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and there's a plenty to criticize about the Han Solo character. Even in this story, like, the early part of the story when he is fighting with Leia, he's awful. He's all up in her business. Mm-hmm. He's just awful. And yeah, his his face on... Uh, page seven that we already pointed out. It looks like a rage comic a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. It lo- a little yeah. bit. It looks like yeah. a rage comic. But you know what? Other than like some of the close-ups, I actually really like the art. Um, it works really well. I think when the characters are at a bit more of a distance, he does a good job with Leia in profile a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. when like less details. She doesn't look too much like Carrie Fisher. But it's still, I think, good. Paul Chadwick is uh, kind of famous in the indie comics scene. He's known for a series called Concrete, which I've read a little bit of. It's about a man who gets trapped in a giant suit of concrete and kind of goes about his normal life. He has to buy new furniture because he can't sit in things. But he's, like, immortal, but he can't feel anything. It's a very, like, sort of introspective tale. At least what I've read. I haven't, I've only read, like, the first volume or two of it. And 
I kind of like Chadwick's art, honestly. I think he, uh, he knows what he likes to draw. And I think what he likes to draw is pretty women. Which is why I think Leia comes out of this looking better than Han. She, like, she's well-drawn in, on page 16, um, Leia's, like, well-drawn, except she doesn't look like Leia. It's just like, here's here's a pretty woman. You know, it's not, like, later on, you know, we get more Carrie Fisher, Leia. And, like, the way everything, like, is, um, like, I've already said layout. I'm trying to think, like, you know, how, how the scenes are all put together, you know? Um, the panels, I think, are, are, like, I don't know, they work really well as far as, like, helping with pacing and everything like that, and we get some interesting, like, you know, camera angles. Um, but, yeah, I just, it, it's just a big stumbling block for me, like, seeing the, this rough attempt at, um, you know, matching to the, matching to the actress from the films. Yeah. I, I, and like I said, I, I think there are some parts in this book that when the art misses, I feel like it really misses. But I think with the exception of those times, I think it's, I think the art is good. I mean, I, I don't think I was per- personally like blown away by it, but it's it's good until it's not. But that you usually only lasts for a panel or two. Mm-hmm. Coloring is doing a lot of heavy lifting in this story too, especially yeah. once you get to the the part where they're stranded on Hoth and they're freezing. You get these really great sequences. Like I'm looking specifically page nineteen, where Han is like, "Come into my blanket," and <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Again, let's leave aside the dialogue for a moment and just look at the coloring. <laughs> Everything is very blue and cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Eiffel 65 up in here. And then Leia falls asleep and she's, you know, her her coloring changes to like violet and hot pink. And it's like, that's the warmth. You flip over to the next page. Han is cold. Leia comes over with the blanket and the blanket is a brighter red so it's warm you get the cold when han is talking about how uh much chewy means to him you go to page 23 where the pinks and the purples start to come back in as leia and han are getting closer they're about to kiss and the panel's actually red like the coloring's doing a lot of interesting storytelling i think and it's pretty cool to watch and and be like it's it's obvious right but it's obvious in a way that makes me look at it like, oh, there's a thing that's happening here. I wonder if there's coloring tricks that are going on in other parts of the book. Or maybe colorists are doing this sort of storytelling in other comics. I, I, I think there's a place for this sort of like obvious storytelling because it invites curiosity that makes me want to look at other colorists' work more closely. So I think it's really good. Uh, like okay, really good is probably overstating it. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there is also something a little novel about the fact that like, as they're bonding in the ship, you know, the color stuff is kind of, really kind of kicking it to high gear. But like as soon as uh, kind of as soon as they get a you know, a rush of cold air, <laughs> to kind of cool them out of the moment, and uh, the the uh, what do they call the the resistance fighters and Chewie kind of break in, the colors go back to a little bit more realistic. As if kind uh-huh. of, as if kind of to be like, all right, we've had a little romantic moment. Let's go back to the status quo, which is, uh, which is a little cute. Like, and like you said, up until like the very last panel panels, when like the color comes back and like Leia's glowing a little bit red and, and, uh, Han has a T-800 look. <laughs> Those are warm Terminator colors. Uh, and, okay. And legitimately, the only problem with that is like, I think somebody... 
somebody did not fill in the eye with like white because I because th- that I think that's it. I think that's the only problem because that looks. No, he's giving her the he's giving her the look. Come with me if you want to love. That's what it's all. About. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably a technical error. <laughs> yeah, I would have actually colored in that whole thing because the smile is the important part on that. Like, you need to see his little smile. That's the bit that you need to I'm see. I'm going to edit that and see how it looks with it all blacked out. I still say right. I still say he looks more like Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, more than <laughs> more than uh, the T-800. But, um, yeah. A couple of other little uh, neat art nods. Very last panel, uh, around the word, the words, the end, there are some cables or something that are actually making a little heart shape around it, but it's part of this panel or something that Leah, that Leah's what? So I have a coworker named Leah, Ah. but it's Leah, it's Princess Leia, sorry. Anyway, Princess Leia's walking past this panel and there are some wires on it, so that's actually part of the panel or part of the scenery, but the wires just coincidentally make the shape of a heart around the words, the end. I thought that was cute. Really? Coincidentally? I think that's on purpose, Stephen. This is art. I think so, too. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out, panel one. It's it's a scene from A New Hope. We've got the, the award ceremony. How many medals does the guy have in his hand? Oh, did they put in another one for Chewie? Yep. There's a medal for Chewie. They don't show... Uh, Leia putting the the medal on Chewie, but there's a medal for Chewie in that guy's hand. Do you know what it is? I figured it out. Oh my gosh, this has been bothering me my whole life. Chewie is in a completely different weight class, so he would get his award separately from these puny little humans. I I just thought that extra medal was for like R two D two or C three PO. They are made of metal. They don't need medals. You see how shiny they buffed C three PO? He doesn't need anything. And that lasted for about a movie. <laughs> yeah. And they tried to make a big deal of the red arm. You know, this last panel of, uh, maybe it is a T-800. Maybe it's like, I have a bad feeling about this. Come on, Leia. Get in the chopper. Never tell me the odds. <laughs> <laughs> Chewbacca. Leia, I got the bad feeling about this. No, no. <laughs> Boba Fett. Boba Fett, where? Yeah. Don't get cocky, kid. <laughs> you find yourself floating home. I love you. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Minoc chewing on the cup power couplers. <laughs> is this the time we broke Steven? Is she yeah, passed? Yeah. She <laughs> she made the castle run in less than 12 parsecs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, when we get to really bad celebrity impressions, I think it's time to move on to the next story. Right. Unless anybody has yeah. anything else that they really need to say about Star Wars A Valentine's Story. That one hurt a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I thought we were doing, like, we were nailing I it. I thought it was serviceable. Yeah. I thought I was like, Clearly, oh, you know. When you said it hurt, I thought you were talking about how you were straining your voice trying to make an Austrian accent. Nah, my throat. No. <laughs> that bounty hunter we ran into in the old Mandel changed my mind. <laughs> Why don't we move on to Punisher Bloody Valentine? Oh, can we? Ugh. All right, whose job is that? Not mine. I took Star Wars. Someone else has to fall on this grenade. Is that my, is that my job? Yeah, why don't you do it, Aldo? Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that vote of confidence. 
Uh, okay, cool. I'm gonna see how good of a job I do here because uh, I'm not gonna lie, I skimmed through a lot of this. <laughs> <laughs> Glad it wasn't just me then. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, this is done by writers uh, Jimmy Pal- Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Uh, actually, two of my favorite writers from DC. They did one of my favorite uh, female-led comic books. They did the the what was it, like early 2000s run of Power Girl with uh, Amanda Connor. Yep. Yeah. So really, really good writers. I like them. Uh, at least I do. Uh, but anyways, we got pencils by uh, Paul Golasi, Jimmy Palmiotti actually doing the inks, and colors by Paul Mounts. So, so the Punisher is in. Uh, he's kind of he's investigating like a break in. He thinks it's gonna be some um, some thieves, and when he shows up, he finds uh, a lady. I don't even remember her name. <laughs> and she, listen, I, I love Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. This is not their best work. I apologize. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so the punish Suspiria is that it? Suspiria. Suspiria. Yeah. Okay. I. You know what? I thought that was a reference to the movie, so I just my bad. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get that. <laughs> I don't gotta know. get that good Shia LaBeouf reference in every uh, every Punisher comic. <laughs> Anyway, so, so he goes in there. I'm gonna kill you because you killed my dog. Then we'll be even, Stevens. <laughs> and he sees, he sees Suspiria killing a bunch of dudes, like you do in a in a Punisher comic. And they eventually kind of uh, enter like a Mexican standoff. She needs to interrogate one of them, but Punisher wants to, so she, uh, so he lets her, and she gets some information. He goes in and kind of blows up the the rest of the place. And he needs the information that she got. So she kind of gets him to go along with him in a private jet as they fly around the world. Have, have you know, a good a good Christian adult time together with no implications of anything happening <laughs> out of wedlock. Um, so the, <laughs> so, so uh, the Punisher has a nightmare. That, that takes up a couple pages. And I don't know how relevant that was to the story. But, <laughs> well, she has a nightmare too, right? I was that her. I thought that was just his nightmare. I'm I am turning to that page. It starts with her nightmare. Starts with her nightmare. That's page um, nine and ten and eleven. And then it moves into his, starting on page twelve. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, so they go, they go, they meet up with uh, with some of her friends, uh, some accomplices. And they're gathering like some supplies, and they get found out. So she has to escape, and she's able to get one of her friends with with her. So, so they escape. They find out that um, I mean, a, a couple more shenanigans happen. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know. I feels like there's a lot that happens, but not a whole lot because like next thing we know, they're like in a casino and they're about to heist it, but their covers are about to be blown. So they just decide to kind of uh, drown the place with with those sprinklers. And she finds out that she gets to the guy that she's been trying to get to. Uh, she she was kind of burned because she also burned them. She was supposed to kill the Punisher, but didn't. Uh, this was like years back, apparently. And so because that kind of that top that stuff happened, uh, their agreement was kind of broken. She did a bunch of assassinations while she was being blackmailed. So now she's kind of gone back to. Not not necessarily get revenge. I mean, yes, get revenge, but she's also trying to get her daughter back. Uh, so she finds out 
that her daughters has been kind of disposed of. And, you know, I think initially my interpretation of that was that she was dead. But no, she's been sold off. And they know, they know, uh, they know, like, where she's been sold off. But they also have to go get um, the senator's son, who has kind of also been kidnapped. And when they find the guy that did it, uh, they track him down. And he's living, he's leaving on a plane. They don't have a whole lot of time. And the Punisher has has kind of uh, a particular grudge against people that do things with kids that they're not supposed to do things with kids. So he kind of freaks out at the sight of this guy on the back of the plane with a bunch of kids strapped into the, the seats. So he rushes immediately for him and he gets knocked out, not by the guy, but by Suspiria. Uh, we kind of cut to them a little bit after that. Uh, Punisher kind of wakes up from the whole thing, tells him, tells him that the guy's been disposed of. He's been taken care of. And he's like, why? Why'd you do this? I just like this because this moment like stood out to me um, through the rest of this thing, as you can tell by the level of detail. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the kids have already been through a lot. They don't need to see the Punisher blow another dude's brains out in front of them. So she kind of takes her of the situation. And uh, as they're about to land... We cut to the next page, which is a full full page uh, image of that guy uh, roped on the landing wheels of the plane as they're about to land. Oh, he is on the wheels. I thought they just chucked him, but yeah, that's that's good. Nope. <laughs> so so that's so what he's getting is a little worse than uh, than what you initially thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, and, well, if they dropped him from high enough, then you know. But this is. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah. So, yeah, so we cut to cut to the next day. Uh, we find out kind of everything's been settled. She's going to, Suspiria's going to go find her kid. And she's kind of been forgiven for a lot of her crimes. Uh, the, the kids are going to, are, are supposedly going to be uh, sent back to their families. But, you know, we live in 2020. We know how well that goes. Oh. <laughs> oh. Topical. <laughs> that's a Punisher story. It's not allowed to be happy. Anyways, so uh, the Punisher and Suspiria happily walk off into the subset as they're going to engage in more responsible adult adventures together for one last night. Probably playing Parcheesi or something. Boy, that is a that is a terrible euphemism, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like the art. The art is 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 good. It feels. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is even a term, but it feels like New Age pulp. Like it has, like modern pulp. It has a lot of deep black shadows, which I which I really like. Kind of high contrast art. Uh, I think I don't know. I think it's I like the art a bit, but also I don't know. Here's here's my problem with the book. The book the problem isn't the art. The problem is I kind of just didn't care about a lot of the stuff that was happening. Yeah. Now is that are you a fan of Punisher under good circumstances? Because I I like. I don't know. The last couple of years, like Punisher's just kind of, I'm like, nah, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> like, I, I thought John Barenthal did a great job on the Daredevil TV show with mm-hmm. Punisher, but outside of that, it's like he, he just, he just kills people. Like, it just comes down to, ugh, like, yeah, they're like bad guys, but like, ah, it's. I'd know, like it's to think that I would enjoy. A Punisher book. If I read a Punisher book, I have not actually read like a full Punisher book, 
or even like a whole arc or or anything. Most of my absorption of 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 Punisher has been through through kind of like I guess like some one shots or like individual stories set within books that kind of people like to point out. So I I don't chalk this up to it being kind of a Punisher problem. I chalk this up to being more of a I I just don't think the story was interesting. I think at some point for me I just it just kind of felt like and this is I'm going to have an unpopular opinion. This kind of felt like one of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. And I don't like the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. <laughs> They're not James Bond movies. And this this kind of felt like that. That's valid. I love Casino Royale best of all the Bonds, though. But I also get what you're saying, and you're not wrong. Um, but dang, I love Casino Royale. <laughs> um, and, and maybe him being less Bond than Bond is okay, because go back and watch Goldfinger with a modern lens. Ooh, it hurts, it hurts, because that was like the epitome, like classic Connery Bond, and Oh, it's it's not good. <laughs> like, I so yeah. I I was raised on the Pierce Brosnan Bonds, mm. so to me that's always kind of been the pinnacle of like kind of Bond, like that that, that kind of beautiful, handsome, suave Englishman. He's 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 Irish, but okay. Oh, it's whatever, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> They're all white to me. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my Hispanic James Bond? That don't you dare tell me. Don't you dare tell me, Zorro. <laughs> Tony Banderas ain't even Mexican. He's Spanish. Oh, I was going to say, that's your Hispanic oh, Batman. But really, Batmanuel is your Hispanic <laughs> Batman. Batman, yeah. Batmanuel. That's funny to me every time. <laughs> Batmanuel. Because you're like, oh, Batman. Oh. Yeah, so so I don't, I don't know. What did, you, what did you guys think of this? Were you guys kind of as tuned out on this as I was? Yeah. Uh, you know that Karen, her friend, is the smart one because although she wears no clothes, she does wear glasses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Clearly, she's the smart one. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> it was a little. It was. It It did kind of like faint at spy movie, and so it was like, oh, okay, we know what's going on. There's they're they're dressed up and they're in a casino. Okay, all right, you know. They're, oh, they're gonna go to a secret island and fight bad guy. Okay, all right. So, I, yeah, I just wasn't invested, you know. Yeah, I wanted to like it. Uh, like you all, though, I really liked Justin Gray and Jimmy Pelmiotti as writers. Um, I know them better for their Jonah Hex work. And I feel like if you can write Jonah Hex, you should be able to write Good Punisher. And so I'm trying to read this, and I was trying to read it basically as a Jonah Hex story, where Jonah Hex, you know, comes into a small town, he finds a woman who... Uh, he winds up sleeping with for some reason and then he has to go and kill her abusive boyfriend or something like this feels like it should be a good Jonah Hex story but for some reason it doesn't work when it's the Punisher yep and I don't exactly know why other than obviously the Punisher and Jonah Hex are different characters um like they they have different backgrounds. They have different personalities. And I think that's part of the problem. It's like the Punisher in this story has a personality. And I, he's not someone that I normally look at. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, the Punisher is, you know, the guy that has that sort of dry sense of humor as he's killing. No, he's the Punisher is like the force of nature who comes in and he takes out the bad guys with no, with ex- like... Extreme prejudice. 
Extreme prejudice. The extremist of prejudices. Which, which, and and the thing is that, like, so we have read Jimmy Gray, or Justin Gray and Jimmy Valmiotti on the podcast. Heroes for Hire. Mm -hmm. Taking it to the streets. And I remember liking that book. It didn't, like, blow us away, but it, it was a good, solid book. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it's because I think they're, I personally, in my opinion, based on, like, my limited reading I've done on them, I think they do better in comedy than they do in kind of this kind of serious, grim, dark take. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys get the feeling that Punisher really cared at all about no. Suspiria? Because that's that's maybe what the difference is between a similar role is, you know, he's more like just taking it back that she's alive and she's a mark. She's someone he has to deal with. She's an asset. She is the mission. She's not a person. She's not someone he cares about. It, it it just feels like she's just a, a stumbling block on his way to, you know, getting back to extreme prejudice, you know? Yeah. It it feels a little... Honestly, it feels out of character for him to care about another human being. Yeah. Uh, but the, the story's not all bad. It's just, like, it doesn't feel like a great... I don't know. I, I just... It doesn't have what I think I want out of the Punisher story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one bit that I thought was really good. Page 29, uh, the Punisher and Suspiria come across this guy in a speedboat. And I think Suspiria holds a gun to the guy's head and says, take us where we need to go. And I might let you live. And he says, all aboard. And if you look at his face, he's just like completely no selling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just does not care. I, <laughs> mm-hmm. I also, I also love that. Like Suspiria is changing on the boat and the, the the raft boat guy is I, I guess he's like looking at her <laughs> and it's just it's just the Punisher's face and he's like he's like eyes on me <laughs> I don't know I thought that was funny oh. yeah they didn't waste any opportunities to show Suspiria and her friends in varying degrees of undress just that it, like having that mix in the mix of like here's here's what what's you know like we're telling a story but we're gonna you know cheese it up for you just, yeah yeah there was a little bit of that there too honestly was a, like was a lot of bit mm, of that but yeah, yeah but, I don't yeah. know man uh, you, you know a little bit of cheesecake in my good Christian Punisher book <laughs> you're the only one claiming it's a good Christian book I don't know what you think this is like this is like oh yeah Matthew Mark Luke and Frank Castle that's not that's not at all how it works jeez I've just I've just been on I've just been on on a binge of making that joke like all week I apologize <laughs> we noticed I'm sorry I had to I had to bleed over to the podcast truly my fault it's, it's good to get this this peek into <laughs> i was gonna say into your twisted life but that's not fair because if, oof, this past 12 months i mean geez yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i you know actually a little bit of a surprise i well i mean not a surprise right because i've been publishing punisher books for for dozens of years and they don't all have to be max oh never mind wait no this is a marvel knights uh, so, I mean, I guess it makes sense. This is like a little bit more, I guess a little bit more cheesecake, a little bit more overt, like overtly violent. Yeah. Like we do see a lot of blood. Mm-hmm. This is a Marvel Knights book, which is kind of, I guess like a, like a, like a rank up from their regular teen audience, uh, but not quite to the max level, which I've heard the max 
Punisher run is actually really good. That's what I've heard too. Um, I haven't really read it. Mostly because it hasn't been available on the app. Correct. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I uh, I don't see this going high on our list, but sure sure was a Punisher story. I don't know. At some point, maybe it will get to a like a good Punisher story that's, you know, there isn't a lot of distraction in it, you know, or things that remind you like, oh, this is this character is troubling to me. So, are, are you saying you did not enjoy All Aboard the Pain Train? I think if you go back over the. 69 episodes we've done so far. I'm on record many times, many times, <laughs> saying how much I disliked it. You see, and I liked that one. That one's probably going to rank higher than this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that one a lot more as well. <laughs> this The art is, is much better in this one than that one. So there's at least that. Yeah. Oh, talk, we should uh, read Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we should. Totally grounded Punisher story, just like the character should be. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. So are we done with this story? I I was done with it uh, hours ago. Yeah. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Uh, So I guess that means we move on to the Marvel Valentine's special from, when was this, 97? 97. So... Odd collection of stories. We're in the late 90s at Marvel. Um, okay, so we've got one, two... I gotta count real fast. One, two, three, four, five different stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. First story, we've got a, a cute little story by Tom Payer and Mark Buckingham, uh, writer and penciler. Kev Sutherland is the inker. Jim Novak is the letterer. And Mark Bernardo is the colorist. It's just a cute story where Spider-Man surprises Mary Jane for valentine's day and they uh have a just like a cute little dinner and then spider-man tells her about how he helped a guy do like a little glow up steven yes i think it was more than a cute little dinner okay fine (laughs) it was more it was a cute little dinner with your so on valentine's day (laughs) with everything that implies with the freaky spider web stuff i don't know what you're talking about i just see cheeseburgers and popcorn on their little the I do love that that's their <laughs> that's what they eat afterwards they've got french fries and cheeseburgers and popcorn it's just romantic um, candles it's probably just because uh peter couldn't uh pay the uh, power bill that's that's typical of him i mean if that's not a classic new york valentine's day dinner i don't know what is and truly i don't know what is because i'm not from <laughs> new york <laughs> Uh, you follow that Spider-Man story. Anyway, the, the Spider-Man story has Peter Parker giving love advice to a hapless nerd at the school where he teaches. And he just kind of like totally messes things up. And it gives this really cute opportunity for Mary Jane to come in and say, you know, some women like nerds, kind of like how I like you. And Peter Parker's like, I'm not a nerd, I'm a cool guy. And Mary Jane's like, sure, Jan. <laughs> anyway, so they fix that whole thing because... To, to give the, the geeky guy kind of a chance to really connect with the girl. Uh, it's just cute and harmless. The second story is a Daredevil story that is very, very serious. Because it's all about a woman who is uh, in an abusive relationship with a man who is a gangbanger. Who's like threatening to kill people. And so they fight the problem from two different directions. Daredevil goes in to bust heads and fight crime. Meanwhile, uh, Karen Page is apparently a, like, love guru uh, on the radio. And she 
uh, is giving advice over the radio to uh, lonely hearts to persuade them to leave the the men who are abusive to them. So that's a thing that happened. Uh, I honestly, this story kind of didn't do anything for me, despite the fact that it was written by John Ostrander, who is very very good. Uh, pencils by Mary Mitchell. Chris Ivy was the inker. Ken Lopez was the letterer. And Joe Andreani was the colorist. The third story was the most surprising of the bunch for me. It's about a character named Venus, who, within the world of Marvel, I have no idea what her deal is. She is apparently just the Greek goddess Venus, uh, who comes to Earth to protect a uh, software developer for a dating app from an invading Jack Kirby alien, and then she reconnects with an old flame. Uh, the thing that surprised me the most about it was the uh, pencils were done by Dan DiCarlo, who is a very, very famous Archie Comics illustrator. You don't say. <laughs> this is straight up Archie. <laughs> oh, it's 100% an Archie comic in Marvel mm -hmm. with a big old Jack Kirby monster right in the middle. I, uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. When, when that when that story hit, I I was like, I know what this art is. I don't know where it's from. It took me like two pages and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Did Joe put an Archie in my Marvel? <laughs> Did you put a Marvel in my Archie? Hey. <laughs> anyway, script by Frank Strom, uh, inks by Terry Austin, letters by Janice Chang, and colors by Steve Matson. on that one. Uh, my favorite story of the bunch is the next one. That was written by Tom DeFalco with Dan Lawless on the pencils, uh, Jeff Albrecht on the inks, and Jack Morelli on the letters, and Adam Galenta on the colors. Other than DeFalco, I don't know who any of these people are. Uh, <laughs> it's the, but like I think they did a really good job. It's the Absorbing Man looking for a uh, doll of Millie the Model, I think, another like really obscure Marvel Comics character, as a Valentine's gift for his wife, the supervillainess Titania. Uh, and they just get in a big brawl with the cops, and it's hilarious and fun. And then the last story is completely random uh, Cyclops and Phoenix in the future raising who is going to be Cable, and they find a cactus, and the cactus teaches them how to survive in the desert. Uh, the last story was written by Tom DeFalco. Uh, Kyle Hotz was the artist. John Costanza was the letterer. Kevin Tinsley was the colorist. And that's it. It's just a bunch of like weird little random love stories. Some of them better than others. None of them, I think, are top tier. No. But some of the, like, again, I will go to bat for that uh, Absorbing Man Titania story. Other than the, like, way Titania's costume gets drawn, where sometimes she's wearing pants and sometimes she's not. Yeah, other than that, I think that it was actually a pretty solid story. I'd have to agree. Plus, I, I, I find I actually dislike the Absorbing Man and Titania. Like... I kind of like them as characters. I've read a couple of stories with them now, and I think they're great. I think uh, I like Absorbing Man. Just he, his powers are interesting to me, and there's a lot that you can do with them. Um, one of my favorite panels in this entire book um, is him absorbing the uh, brick wall. Yep. Just it's a great pose, and it looks really cool. It's it's almost like um, like a mean version of the thing, and he's just wrecking this car as it drives into him because he can take it because he's absorbed. You know, this this brick wall. I I had trouble, I don't know. I had trouble connecting with much beyond Spider-Man. Um, Archie has never been interesting to me. This this art is, like, 
perfect and it's it's sure is archie and it's like it's well done and everything but i i just i don't know if it's because i saw it as like lesser comics like ah that's in like the grocery store checkout line like i want a comic comic i want like you know x-men uh i just have never really had any connection to archie um so that was just like no this is okay this is whatever um the art's okay in uh, Daredevil and in Spider-Man, but it's kind of, you know, it feels a little dated uh, because of when it came out. But, yeah, the uh, Daredevil story is just, like, I'm glad they put in a number to the domestic uh, abuse or d- domestic violence hotline because that was just a little, like, oh, boy, this is rough. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Is it weird that, like, Han and Leia feels like the most romantic of all these stories that we read? Like, it just... Oh, no, like... It's either that one or the Absorbing yeah. Man story. Those yeah. are the ones that I think are the most romantic. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. I agree with you on that. I, I you know, I, I particularly liked the, you know, like you, John, I, I think I liked the Spider-Man story a little bit. I think if anything, not not just because it's Spider-Man, because I do have that big Spider-Man bias. I just like the idea that he's been Spider-Man for so long and he's been dating Mary Jane for so long that he forgot he was a nerd. <laughs> like, well, in his mind, he he stopped being a nerd when she said, "Face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot." Once he hit the jackpot, he wasn't a nerd anymore. I could be a nerd if you're, you know, dating Mary Jane. Yeah, exactly. So, so I thought that was, you know, I thought that was a little cute. I think just the whole idea of 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 that was was funny. But I don't know. I really, I really liked the the Absorbing Man. I I think the more I read of the Absorbing Man. The more I like him, he he really feels like he's, he really does feel more of an everyman than like almost any other hero does. And there's something endearing yeah. about that because he's, you know, depending on the book th- that we read, he's either like a full on villain or he's just kind of trying to lay low or get his life back on track. And this is one of those where he's just kind of trying to lay low. He's just trying to do this thing and people see him and they just start attacking him and he's doing his darndest to not fight back because he doesn't want to start a thing. But everybody is just piling on and he's just like, I can't. <laughs> and then, you know, they have a good old time just, you know, fight the police. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a good, like, he, anytime I've seen him, it's he's like the, you know, the cold open villain. Like, we join our heroes as they're battling on the streets with the absorbing men. And he's, you know, he's got... yep. Um, interesting powers, but I, I'd like to see more of him just to see like what, you know, a good writer could do just playing around with his power set and like that struggle of like, oh, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm a bad guy, you know? Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I really do like that story. Uh, it's just so fun. The art on it is really good. Um, it reminds me a bit of Sam Keith. I, I think that's the guy who did the max, right? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like that's kind of what they're going for, especially with the way that Crusher Creel himself is drawn. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, oh, I, I, I just love, he's just this big slab of meat. Like, just, <laughs> just a dumb pile of meat. <laughs> um, but he's, he's great. He's just a great character. I, I dig it a lot. Um, speaking of art, I will go to bat for Dan DiCarlo and Archie. Uh, I really actually do like Archie comics. Kind of, uh, it's kind of a comfort read. It's not something that I like would highly recommend to anybody. But if I'm having a bad day and I sit down and read a couple of Archie books, it makes me feel better. Um, especially some of the more classic stuff. Dan DiCarlo is one of the better Archie artists. 
Uh, I think this story is overwritten. It's too wordy for an Archie book. Or Venus book, whatever. <laughs> it's Or whatever. Yeah. Right. Well, like, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing, is you've got Dan DiCarlo. You're going to get... It's an Archie book. Mm-hmm. As evidenced by the number of pretty women that he draws. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just not for me that I'm not, I don't want to take away from, you know, anyone else's enjoyment. And like, there's something like very clean about the, the artwork in that. It's just, it doesn't do anything. It's just like, yep, there yeah. it is. It's, you know, sure is Archie or whatever. It feels more like a Sunday strip than a comic book to me. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's a fine line because they used to be kind of the same thing, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think the Archie house style, uh, slots really well into the Marvel Universe. If you're gonna do it, this is about the type of story that you would want to do. It's like a not-serious story about uh, an alien conqueror who basically puts a, a personals ad in the paper looking for love. <laughs> uh, and they beat him by summoning another, like, space conqueror monster to woo him. Like, this is the sort of story that you would do this with. It just, It still doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, I do like Dan DiCarlo drawing ridiculous Kirby monsters, though. I think that's great. Yeah, no, it's it's always good to be, like, reminded of, of just the genius of Jack Kirby, even if it's a pinkish, purplish brain monster thing here. This is really weird. And this, like, <laughs> green onion-headed lady, like, it's just messed up. Green onion-headed lady who, no joke, looks like a character from Archie Comics. Oh, there's a character that looks like that? Yeah, it's a girl who keeps chasing Jughead around. Ah. Uh, and I do not remember her name offhand. Uh, in your opinion, Stephen, um, should Archie be with Betty or Veronica? Neither. Oh, okay. Okay, well, no. Oh, if, if you're gonna pair him off with one, Mark Wade did this best. Uh, Archie was in a new relationship with Veronica after coming out of a very messy breakup with Betty. I think I heard that about that. That worked really well. Yeah, because that, that, there's a reason for, yeah, there being like, oh, who do I choose? Yeah, yeah. Veronica's the uh, brunette? Uh, Veronica's the dark-haired rich girl. Betty is the blonde girl next door. Ah. And the character that the, the alien looks like from uh, Archie Comics is, I believe, uh, Ethel Muggs. Is the character's name? That sounds about right. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, if you're gonna pair, if, I mean, I, I'm just saying, if you're gonna pair up Archie, you, you you need to just go the Riverdale route and just pair him up with Miss Grundy. <laughs> I heard like it's that, so show, bad. that show. That show I heard. It's so bad. <laughs> I heard the show. They were like, "Hey, they're doing Archie. Hey, it's pretty good." Ah, uh, and it's trash. It's trash. There we go. Yeah, it's oh, just it's trash. absolutely trash. There was a there was a list that uh, that the list that got me to actually watch the show was like seventy two <laughs> outrageous outrageous things that happened in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were. Fa- I'm gonna track that down. I'll, I'll I'll list off some of them after we rank these stories. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about these. Um, we we've not said a. Th- thing about the Cyclops Phoenix one. I mean, is there... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's not much to say about it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to say about it. I like the way that Kyle Hotz... Excuse me, Kyle Hotz draws Jubilee. That's all I've got to say about it. Like, the rest of the story is kind of nothing to me, but I, I like Jubilee. I like the way he draws Jubilee, which Jubilee is in five panels. She's in the framing device to the story. 
I think that's going along with like when you came up in comics because I did not like Jubilee. <laughs> this like weird haircut she has. I yeah, did not enjoy her and like maybe it's just I don't know, maybe it's just when it came out. The the art like the the heavy shading on every little curve and muscle like that just made it feel really busy to me. Um, and normally on paper, I'd be like, heck yeah, a story about like, uh, Cyclops and Jean raising Nathan in the future. Like that's, I'm all about that. And, and this, I was just like, uh, come on, hurry up. Let's get to the, there's the cactus. Okay, here we go. And then, yeah, back to Jubilee. At least the delivery man was a hunk. Like just, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's a, it, I don't know. I, at one point I actually had the, the trade collection of, uh, the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, which was the story where they were like, their minds were pulled into like clone bodies of themselves in the future so they could raise Nathan uh, until he became Cable. Like it's it's really convoluted yep. for no reason. Uh, especially when you remember that Nathan is not actually Cyclops and Jean Grey's son. He's the son of Cyclops and Madeline Pryor. Mm-hmm. Uh so, like, I had that book for a while. I never read it. Um, this does look like what that series looked like, I believe. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, because it's like, what if Cyclops, but also Mad Max? That's not the worst high concept, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would normally be down for that, but just was distracted by just the art style. It As, you know, dumb as that sounds, I just couldn't get past it. Yeah. It's easily the least interesting, not just of the stories in this book, but maybe of the stories that we read tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe it's just by the time you've read four other, like, nothing romance stories, the fifth one is just a bridge too far. I don't know. Yeah. Should, should we rank these? Okay. Pulling up the spreadsheet, we currently have 134 stories on the list. Gee willikers. Let's go to about the midpoint of the list and, and see where we're at. Uh, number 69 on the list is Better to Give. Oh, we keep doing this. It's the X-Men story. It's the Wolverine story in the mall. Yeah. It's the one that we read. Like, we. this is the one that we've highlighted like three times in a yeah. row now. I, uh... I'm just going to grab a couple of other random comics. Randomly grabbing a story. Number 14 on our list is The Death of Electra story from Daredevil. Um, and... Number 111 is the Ghost Rider Xmas special. Blech. That was written by Method Man. Oh boy. Wait, <laughs> oh that's right. He, you know, Method Man's not that bad of a writer. I just remember that story being a whole lot of nothing. Wait, was that the was it the Krampus one? No. I don't I don't think so. No, that was the Krampus one. Hmm. Cuz the one I was thinking of, the one I actually like is the one with uh with Robbie Reyes. I forgot what the, what the name of that one was. Actually, maybe it was that one. Oh yeah, it was. That was a special infinite comic. Yep. Never mind. I like that one. I like the. I like that Christmas special. Yeah, it's 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 fine. But we're not talking about that one today. We're talking about we're talking about Star Wars: A Valentine's Story. Where does that rank? Um. <laughs> Where's Vader down on our list? That one wound up being really low for some nah, reason. Ninety-seven. 97. Star Wars. Yeah, Vader down. Star Wars: Infinities and A New Hope. That's the manga. Uh, no, yeah, the infin- no, the Infinities was the uh, was the what if story. Yeah, it's the what if story. Like, what if they missed and couldn't blow up the Death Star? 
Boy, I, I do not remember that. We've read a lot of comics. <laughs> I, We've read a lot of comics. Well, this story belongs below all of that, so... <laughs> You're right, yeah. The the Star Wars Infinities was better. I, I think it goes, it goes, um, like, I'm uh, somewhere around 100, 102, like somewhere right there. Actually, you know what? No, yeah. I like Exiles better. So I would say we put it um, at 104. Just after Exiles, because um, that there's there's a line a little bit lower than this where we go from like forgettable to bad comics, and this isn't bad, but it's also just like I said, we didn't really need it, and so I would yeah put it right at 104. That's added, my vote. It added no real value. I like 104. Yeah. Um, it's like this is better than that nothing Spider Gwen Thanksgiving story, mm-hmm. which is what we currently have at one oh four. But I think you're right that Exiles is probably better. So I would put this right at one oh four. I think that's the perfect spot for it. Right on. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh jeez, and this might have been the best of the three, right? Yeah, because they Because <laughs> <laughs> when you look at like there's some some good stuff in the anthology one, but it, but there's but you gotta look at it as a whole, right? Like that's what we've it's done. It's not with worth the other it ones. to read the whole anthology just for the yeah. absorbing man story. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is a disgusting fruitcake, but there's a chocolate chip at the top. It's like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite the top off. But you're supposed to eat the whole. Nope, already gone. Do you, Do you guys think that <laughs> absorbing man story could have worked as its own issue? Yeah, could have expanded that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely think it could have. Cool. If If you had like dropped that with a different framing device around it, like. Why not? Yeah. You didn't even need a framing device, I think. Just have a few more shenanigans with the cops. Maybe a uh, like a C-list superhero shows up. Absorbing Man and Titania versus Speedball or something. I don't oh, yeah, know. they gotta, like, yeah. chase. Like, like, they have to have a chase or something. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's rate the the Bloody Valentine, the Punisher story, real fast. Where, where's the Pain Train? Because it does not go above Pain that. Train is currently at 111. 111. Which is way too low. But, yeah, no, Pain Train is better than this. Yeah. I, yeah, I would put it uh, down here at 122 above Marvel Whoa. Zombies 3. Uh, mm, okay. I just, eh, I guess Rise of the Midnight Sun. No, it's, I, I'm like looking at these, like some of these, like extremists, not terrible. Ah, th- there's the line. There's the line. Is 116, Galacta, daughter of Galactus. <laughs> I, okay. I knew that's I, where you were going to go. I was going to, I hate it because I was about to say <laughs> we should put this like one above Galacta. Yeah, I think that's the right neighborhood. Um, I actually kind of want to put this above Guess Who's Bumming at Dinner. Actually, I want to put it above Extremist because I hate Tony Stark. But no, I think that... Let's put it above the Galacta story. Also, Civil War is not that bad. But man, Steven really hit it hard. I think this is like his politicking and campaigning to get Civil War so low. It's not... It, I um... do not like Civil War. I think Civil War is actually bad. <sighs> uh, I, I do want to say... I. I kind of am agreeing a little bit i don't think it's uh i don't know how it compares to extremists i think extremists is a bit of a legacy on it but i would be totally okay with putting this above guess who's bumming at dinner i believe in democracy <laughs> even though it's done nothing for me late well that's not true it did one thing <laughs> yeah you got uh, you got the valentine star wars story exactly where you wanted it <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> john that was less than oh, five boy. minutes ago what shall i do with my <laughs> other two wishes Ooh. <laughs> That wasn't democracy. That was common sense. That was just <laughs> laying out the facts. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, what about the uh, 
Oh, mixed okay. Bag so, so wait, Marvel wait. Valentine's special. So, so are we okay with putting it at one fifteen then? Yeah. Yeah, one fifteen. Uh, so the Marvel Valentine's special goes higher than the Punisher one, but solely on the strength of the Absorbing Man and maybe the Spider-Man story. You guys were actually higher on the Spider-Man story than I was. I didn't like it that much. Um, but between those two stories, I, I think it goes higher. I don't think it goes higher than the Star Wars Valentine story, though. So it goes somewhere in the middle. We've got a range of about ten comics. I just want to say that I feel like this should go above Spider-Man and Netman. If you put it above that, I would say we also put it above Damage Control. You know, I don't even remember oh, Damage Control, so okay. Yeah, it's, it's better than Damage Control. I think it goes under Maximum Carnage, though. Yeah, Maximum Carnage, I think, works better as a story, even though it's not a great story. It's still at least... Yeah. It's still an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not I, It's not the best thing ever, but you can get to the end of Maximum Carnage and say, they did something here. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 108. This is the easiest bet of ranking we've had in a while. I think. You know what it is? It's because we're not trying to like, oh, I love this one, but I love this one too. Oh, what do I do? It's like, this isn't great. Where does it go on the pile? This isn't great. Where does it go on the pile? You know, it's much more straightforward. <laughs> Okay, um, so that concludes it. We hope you all have a, a lovely Valentine's Day. Uh, this was our big celebration of love. Uh, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Tell them what we're reading next time, Stephen, before we let I'm them excited go for next time. into their warm embrace of shared space blankets. <laughs> uh, next time, we're going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy double feature. Uh, specifically, we're going to read... One story from the new, or I say new, the the modern, the contemporary take on Guardians of the Galaxy. And then we're going to grab a story from the the Guardians of the Past, which ironically is also the Guardians of the Far Future. Um, so we're going to read, the first story we're going to read is Emperor Quill, which is uh, the storyline where Kitty Pride and the Thing join the Guardians of the Galaxy. And I, I don't know anything about it. It's a Bendis story, so it'll be at least solid, right? Yeah. So this is Guardians of the Galaxy, the 2015 series, issues one through five. And then... Oh, boy. And then we're going back to the 90s uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy. This is the... Gosh, there are too many of these Guardians series. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, this is the 1990 series. We're going to read a storyline that I got from a pack of comics that my parents bought for me at Toys R Us. Uh, it's Guardians of the Galaxy Homecoming, issues number 17, 18, 19, and 20. Huh. Okay. It's, um... Body once told me... <laughs> no. <laughs> Is that not no. where we were going with it? Okay, okay. Uh, I was, was going awesome. to say... Oh, that was oh awesome. gosh. It, uh, Steve Montano, Ken Lopez, Jim Valentino. Who, who wrote this? I'm just looking for writer and artist and it just has inker, letterer, colorist, editor, editor in chief. Is it Jim Valentino? Why is it making it difficult? Anyway, 1990 homecoming. Cool. Uh, so, so, okay. So I found, I found the Riverdale list. Okay. <laughs> so this is all okay, so... the things that happen in the first season, right? Uh, well, I, I don't know, because it's from 2019, and the show's from 2017 started. 
So there's 117 Riverdale storylines that actually happened this season. I'm assuming this is like season three or four. Uh, so actually, BuzzFeed, this is like a like a recurring thing that they do. It's like they come out with these lists of like the things that happened this season, but then they also do weekly lists where they're like things that actually happened this episode or like this week in Arch in Riverdale. So I just grabbed like the earliest one I could find. It's 117 Riverdale storylines that actually happened this season. I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, but I'm going to go through some of them because we like lists here. Uh, Archie pled guilty for a murder he didn't commit. Okay. Uh, Alice and Polly threw babies Juniper and Dagwood into a fire and they levitated. What? Uh, what? Archie went to Juvie. Sure. Okay. The Gargoyle King was introduced. What? Uh, uh, Veronica and the River Vixens serenaded the inmates with Jailhouse Rock. Okay. Okay. Moose joined the ROTC. Sure. Okay. Uh, Ethel had a seizure. Okay. Uh, Archie joined a prison fight club run by the warden. I mean, if he's already in jail, that's not a big stretch. Okay. <laughs> Betty and Jughead did it in the sex bunker. And they have a bu- okay. Hold, now hold up. I'm not too familiar with Riverdale and, and where things are located, like where the soda fountain is and where they go to shoot jacks in the alley, but there's a bunker? Yeah, apparently. Uh, Jughead got hooked on griffins and gargoyles, which I'm assuming is an in-world variant of Dungeons and Dragons. That's just mean. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Betty and Jughead <laughs> investigated their parents since they're convinced uh, one of them is a serial killer. Uh of their parents? Yeah, one of their parents. Uh, Archie escaped prison to the bunker after getting branded with those creepy symbols by the warden. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the Jughead thing. <laughs> Sorry, same same bunker as Jughead? <laughs> Jughead is famously asexual. The, yeah, doesn't he like wear a hat and eat hamburgers? Isn't that his whole thing? I, I guess. Yeah, he, he's, he was also living in the burgers. school, okay? Uh, Veronica, still a high schooler, opened a casino inside her speakeasy, La Pont Nuit. <laughs> this is some Zach Morris shenanigans if yeah. there's not, like, devils involved. All right. Be- Betty was f- like, Betty was force-fed fizzle rocks and hallucinates the Gargoyle King. Every other thing you mentioned could actually be an Archie comic. All right. Cheryl waterboarded her mother with maple syrup. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> You called it a sex bunker. <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs>